Hello, and welcome to First State Insights, a podcast from the Institute for Public Administration, or IPA, located in the Biden School at the University of Delaware. First State Insights offers information, perspectives, and analysis for public policy, management, and community and economic development in the First State. My name is Philip Barnes, and I'm a staff member at IPA. And I'm Julia O'Hanlon, also a staff member at IPA. Phil and I are excited to bring you a series of First Day Insights podcasts devoted to the topic of green infrastructure. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the term green infrastructure, we define it as any nature-based solution to manage stormwater or control sediment and erosion while also enhancing environmental quality. For example, instead of a system of concrete curbs and gutters, vegetated berms and swales or rain gardens are green infrastructure solutions to manage rainfall. That's right, Julia, and we're not only excited to bring you this four-part podcast series because it's focused on a topic that's important for Delaware, we're also excited because these episodes were produced, developed, and edited by our graduate-level public administration fellows at IPA, who all have an interest in local government issues. It's a great learning opportunity and experience for them, and we hope for you as well. So with that, let's listen in. Hello, my name is Jillian Cullen, and I'm a Master of Public Administration student at the Biden School of Public Policy and Administration and a Public Administration Fellow with the Institute for Public Administration. I am also a member of the University of Delaware Student Chapter of the International City Management Association. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Chris Basin, Executive Director of the Delaware Center for the Inland Bays. We'll be discussing the different types of green infrastructure projects the Center for the Inland Bays has been involved with and how cooperative partnerships have helped them along the way. Hey, Jillian. Hi, Chris. How are you? Doing good. How's your day going? Pretty good so far. How's yours? Good. It's great. My first question is, for those unfamiliar with the Center for Inland Bays, would you like to explain a little bit more about what your organization does and the different types of green infrastructure projects that you work on? Sure. We are a nonprofit organization, and we're located at the Indian River Inlet, which is between Rehoboth Beach and Bethany Beach. And our job is to protect and restore Delaware's inland bays. So the inland bays are the Rehoboth Bay, the Indian River Bay, and the Little Assoulman Bay. Our work encompasses the entire estuary, including the tidal wetlands and the tidal creeks that flow into those bays. To do our job, we have to focus on the entire watershed because everything that you do on the land affects the water. So our bays are extremely valuable ecologically. They're very unique for Delaware, and they are also valuable economically. They support a coastal economy in our area that the University of Delaware valued at $7 billion dollars. They have a very large diversity of species in the bays. Estuaries are places where the rivers meet the sea, and that results in an explosion of biological diversity. So we certainly have that in our bays, and that's why we exist, to bring people together to work to clean them up and restore their habitats. We do green infrastructure projects all over the watershed in urban areas and more in rural areas. I think when people think about green infrastructure, they do tend to think about urban areas. So I'll start with what we do there. Most of our work in urban areas focuses on controlling stormwater runoff from communities that were built before regulations requiring stormwater controls. So those areas, because there are no stormwater controls, can be significant generators of pollution. Precipitation falls on roofs and roads. It picks up the pollution and often carries them into sensitive water bodies through pipes without any kind of treatment. 
So we work with communities like South Bethany, uh, Bethany Beach and Dewey Beach to develop partner-based plans to identify where we could put stormwater controls to intercept that runoff prior to it getting into the waterways. And we've had real success around the town of South Bethany. We have a, a longstanding project called the Anchorage Canal Drainage Area Project that over the, about the past 10 years, we've been able to put in more than 25 individual projects all throughout a small watershed to capture and treat the runoff. And we just finished up our largest project this past year, and we're going to have a big press conference and press event about that this spring. So basically, the controls that we're putting in are things like bioswales, bioretention areas, infiltration beds. And in the case of this last big project, it was a very large stormwater retention pond that was created in an area of unused median in the highway. It's super tough to find these places because these are built up places and you really kind of have to look in median areas, like little unused public spaces, wherever you can find to construct one of these treatment areas. We've demonstrated a variety of these over time in this area. We've really learned a lot about what works best. Some of the things that we've learned is that you got to work with partners. The multiple benefits of these green infrastructure practices is what brings people together. Somebody might be concerned about the flood control. Another person might be concerned about the pollution control. And you might have some community members that really just want to see a lot of pretty flowers. And sometimes that's what makes it happen. Another town that we've been working with is the town of Dewey Beach, and we've developed a stormwater master plan up there. They have probably the highest amount of impervious surface coverage of any of our coastal towns, and they have really extreme flooding issues on the bay side due to sea level rise. So the work that we've done there is creating living shoreline, and we've finished the first of our bioretention areas. We do have plans to focus on Dewey Beach now, and in the future, we would hope to move to other communities. And a lot of communities are taking it upon themselves to do that. Bethany Beach just put in on their first north and south street closest to the ocean, they just did half of the whole thing in permeable asphalt, which is wonderful. They have severe flooding problems as well. So to the extent that they can get water to infiltrate into the ground, the better off their people are going to be. We do work a lot on shorelines as well. And shorelines are a part of green infrastructure. Poorly managed shoreline can contribute a great deal of pollution and habitat loss to the estuary. And a well-managed shoreline can do just the opposite. It can control pollution and even expand habitats. So we have a initiative at the center to ensure that living shoreline stabilization methods are those that are used when shorelines are stabilized. So living shorelines, it's basically an approach to treating shorelines to stabilize them that uses natural materials and preserves the ecological connection between the shore zone and the waterway. Traditional methods of shoreline stabilization use hard armoring. And in our area, it's basically like they just dump rocks on the shoreline and that kills the shoreline. And it prevents the creatures of the bay from being able to access the upland areas that they need. So some great examples of what those species are, like horseshoe crabs, you know, they need sandy beaches to lay their eggs to support the shorebird populations and diamondback terrapins that come up out of the bays and need to find sandy dune areas on the edges of the bays to lay their eggs. You know, the life of the bay does not stop at the shoreline and we have to preserve those connections. So we have six demonstration sites now where we're teaching the community and learning ourselves how to develop these practices around the inland bays. 
And our ultimate goal is to achieve a policy either in our watershed or the state of Delaware that says where it's physically possible to use living shoreline stabilization methods and you want to stabilize a shoreline, those are the methods that you have to use because shorelines are so important for the life of the bay. And we all rely on that, not just an individual property owner, but it's all connected. What's some of the natural material that you use for the living shorelines? Thanks. Yeah, great question. Well, we almost always use marsh grasses. And in a lot of places, we actually are creating marshes through the creation of the shoreline. We also use oyster shell material, which we have a program at the center where we recycle oyster shells from a couple dozen local restaurants. And we use that material in our projects. So materials are important and you got to know where to get them. So we have a number of programs to supply our green infrastructure projects. Projects. Other materials like sand, logs, and sticks. We got a project that we just finished up at the Delaware Botanic Gardens where we, on Pepper Creek, where we took woody material from the woods there and combined it into a sill at the edge of the shoreline. So it's like interwoven branches, basically like punched into the ground that are there to stop that wave energy and allow sediment to accumulate behind them. And so far, it's looking really great. We're super excited about that project and we want to try to replicate at other locations. A lot of what we do in, in this space is coastal innovation. We're trying stuff out and we're figuring out what works. So have a lot of these things not been done before in other states or are you replicating methods that have been used elsewhere? It's all over the United States and I'm sure outside as well. Partnership for the Delaware Estuary also has a lot of projects and does a great job. Yeah, you know, I can't tell you that I've seen another branch system like we did out at the Botanic Gardens. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... How many projects would you say that the Center for Inland Bays is working on within a given time period, say like a year? I'd say five to 10. All depends on what's going on. A lot of our work is coordination of partners as well. So I don't know if you call that a project, but it's absolutely essential working with people and saying, okay, we've got this management plan for the bays. What are we going to do this year? We also are working more on just protecting the green infrastructure that is there. For me, that's a really important point that I'd like to make to listeners is that when we think about green infrastructure, we're always thinking about like building something. But part of green infrastructure is protecting the natural lands that are in place. They all have very important functions. And once those lands are gone, it's a huge economic loss to the community. That goes right into open space protection. We try to promote that the forests that we have near the bays, that is our green infrastructure. And to the extent that we can protect that through outright acquisition or through policies that require like buffer areas near the bays to be left, that is probably the best place that we can be operating to protect water quality as well as flood control and wildlife habitat. That goes right to why green infrastructure is so attractive because the concept is built around multiple benefits. And how long would it take to finish a given project? We do our annual work plans and a typical green infrastructure project is going to take at least two years. And the phases are really, you know, project identification. And you can do that at best with a large planning exercises where you're looking at multiple alternatives and then selecting the most efficient and cost effective projects to actually do. A big planning process in itself can take a couple years. But once you have a project conceptualized, depending on the type of project, 
you have to plan it. And that might require some design or even engineering. And that can take about a year. And then it takes about a year to implement it as well. Often you need a group like the center where they're facilitating partners to come together. They're getting funding to a project and then they're overseeing its implementation through a contractor. But, you know, some projects are super easy. Like we've been doing a lot of reforestation on public lands. And that might be as simple as, hey, you know, there's a spot here in this parkland. What are your intentions for it? What's the best use of it? And, you know, you could go to plant that like the next spring. And that's a fairly easy project. And then after the project is done, if you're doing it right, you're monitoring it. And we do that with our projects. We monitor the success of all of our reforestations, our living shoreline projects. And the real benefit there is the more you study what you've done, the more you can learn. And we think about each one of our green infrastructure projects as a little experiment and we're testing it for success. So I'm going to go back to the cooperative partnerships. How have they helped the Center for Inland Bays carry out these green infrastructure projects and leverage resources such as grant funding? They're essential. In many ways, we're always working on somebody else's land. We're working in their public spaces to get projects done. We're working at the Department of Transportation roads to get projects done. And often to get funding, which is limited and competitive, you have to show a strong partnership. And partnerships also bring resources to the table. You can get diverse resources coming from diverse partners, and that often results in a successful project. And do you most frequently collaborate with towns, counties, state agencies, or some other partner? All of the above. We enjoy like a lot of really great relationships. I mean, particularly Sussex County, Delaware State Parks, and Fish and Wildlife areas. They continually amaze me in their willingness to work together. And these are, you know, particularly like parks and fish and wildlife. These are places that don't have much budget. I mean, they're working hard to do what they do on little funding. Got so much respect for those groups. Same thing for the towns. You know, they're willing to work. They see the problems and they really appreciate when a group like the center comes in to provide solutions that also protect the bays. And I know from my personal research that you've done a lot of projects in coastal areas that have engaged municipalities such as the town of Dewey Beach, South Bethany, Bethany Beach and Fenwick Island. Can you describe more how these cooperative partnerships have contributed to successful project outcomes? The towns know their towns. They know their lands. They know their problems. They know where things flood. They know where the water quality is bad. We really look to them to help guide us and the engineers that we work with in project selection and feasibility. They also are often funding partners, the towns in particular and the counties. They have their own resources that they're willing to bring to the table. They rely on us to help bring resources from grant opportunities to match that and then oversee implementation. They are always essential partners in green infrastructure. And then my final question is, how can a Delaware local government, whether it be a town, a city or a county, partner on a future green infrastructure project with the Center for Inland Bays? Give us a call. (laughs) We're always looking for more things to do. And sometimes it gets a little dicey. You know, we might be like, oh, my gosh, are we out of projects? Some projects are so difficult to get on the ground or there may be not enough money. So we're always looking for solutions to those two problems, but we do need to continually work with landowners and towns on ideas. Okay, so that's all my questions. Is there anything else you want to add? I guess that, especially on the coast, green infrastructure is, it's just increasing in terms of its importance. 
I think for a long time, state and federal governments have really not invested to keep up with infrastructure. It's a bit embarrassing, but you just see it. Even at the Indian River Inlet, parts of the inlet jetty are like falling in. I mean, well, there's some serious problems. They can't even keep up with maintaining the dune. Those are uncomfortable things to see, but it's, I think it is the result of a lack of investment. And I think we're seeing some pretty encouraging signs right now from the state. There is a clean water for Delaware bill in the legislature. It was born out of the need to invest more in flood abatement. There's funding in there that would fund green infrastructure projects, and it would be a major capital investment from the state. Right now, their proposal is for $50 million. It's a great start. And I think at the federal level, once this relief bill has gotten through, you'll see attention turn to uh, infrastructure as a way to stimulate and maintain the economy. I agree. We will definitely be seeing some shifts in attention towards green infrastructure in the near future. So that concludes our interview. Again, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. I really enjoyed our conversation and I know I learned a lot, so I'm sure our listeners did too. I'm so excited to see what you and the Center for Inland Bays accomplishes in the future. And if any of our listeners want to learn more about the Center for Inland Bays, please visit our website at www.inlandbays.org. Again, thank you so much, Chris. Thanks, Julian. It was, it was good talking to you. Again, I'm Jillian Cullen from the University of Delaware's ICMA Student Chapter and the Institute for Public Administration. To learn more about IPA, you can visit us at bidenschool.udel.edu slash IPA. Thank you for listening to First Date Insights.